0: Hello Texans and welcome. It's Texans All Access here from the Hyundai Texans radio studio inside NRG Stadium across the hall from the locker room. I'm Mark Vandermeer and our Thursday night guest, the General John McClain. We're back Thanksgiving last week and of course a monumental week in the history of this franchise with the passing of Bob McNair a week ago Friday. And of course the Monday night game in which the Texans honored Bob McNair, a victory eighth in a row in general, what a week it's been, and the march through the season continues. It's just so strange with everything happening with the McNair family and the season going on. It's great that they're winning under these circumstances, under any circumstances, but what a unique dynamic we're going through right now.
1: It was very interesting when Bob died on Friday, then Cal, who was so close to his dad. you know, I mean, they, he was at his dad's side ever since Cal came back here in the early 2000s from Fort Worth to be his dad's right hand man and be groomed to take over running the franchise. You know, Janice is the controlling owner, but Cal is the chairman. He runs everything, and he has been there every step of the way for every major decision. And even though I don't think there will be any kind of, a noticeable difference in the transition from Bob to Cal. I think the apple didn't fall far from the tree, fell right next to it. And, uh, you'll see him carry on the traditions. The Texans are not going to go out, start signing guys with a lot of baggage. They're not Mm going to change that philosophy. Cal believes like Bob, you can win with good people. And you're seeing that now. And I think, uh, you never know for certain Mark, you know, somebody, and we've known Cal now since he came back to Houston, uh, you think he can make tough decisions, but you never know until he has to make one, and he shouldn't have to make one. He'll want to be well-informed like Bob was, and he'll sign off when they want to spend millions on a free agent, or if they decide to let one go, he'll sign off on that. He wants to know what's going on, but he's not going to say, okay, Brian Gain, I want you to do this. Bill, you have to do that. That's not the way the McNair family operates. And I'd like to say this about, Bob McNair, I've never known anyone I respected more, and I had met him in 97, and I can't tell you, and I know you feel the same way, how much I respected Bob, how important people were to him, how well he treated people, how much he gave to people. He told me one time, what is the point in making money if you can't give it to people who need it? And I thought that just kind of summed up Bob McNair. He and Janice giving away five hundred million dollars, and and they'll be giving away a whole lot more. And and they wanted to help people, and they did. Diversity in the organization was important to him. Uh, he believed in it. I know at the end, the things people were saying about him really bothered him. Sure. He told me that he said he said seeing these people call me a racist, I just he it just how much it got to him and. And I felt bad for him, because I know all the great things he'd done for so many different people, and the team he would have been he would have been embarrassed on Monday night with all the attention being given to him. But after the game, he would have been so excited to win eight in a row, and especially to beat the Titans a division opponent
0: a division opponent and a team, a franchise that used to reside in Houston and left town, creating the void that he would eventually fill with the Texans.
1: He used to go to – he was a long-time Oilers season ticket holder. And when he met Bud over in River Oaks, they would go to games together. And sit, he would go with Bud. Bud had a buzz for his friends, and they would sit in Bud's suite. And Bob had talked to Bud when Bob started making a lot of money in the 80s because he lost a lot mm-hmm. in his 60s and 70s. And and with coaching technologies, and he had the resources, he told asked Bud if he wanted to – sell the Oilers and Bud said no of course and then he let Bud know that he'd like to own a franchise and when Bud one time had Paul Tagliabue with him in the early 90s in his suite and he introduced him and Tagliabue and McNair hit it off immediately the league vetted bob and his business and his finances and they wanted him to get involved mm-hmm. they talked to him about miami washington st louis when la had the exclusive negotiating rights and they couldn't come up with an owner a stadium plan or where it's going to be located or finances they asked bob if he'd be interested in owning that team and he said no i'm a houston homer and he said i he he knew his bid his political and business clout plus the stadium financing plan was all in place, and he was confident it was going to get it over L.A., and he was right. And I thought he, it, the Oilers moving was a, a godsend for Bob who wanted to own an NFL team, but he didn't want to be an absentee owner, and he sure didn't want to move.
0: I'm glad you talked about the finesse that it took for him, the deal-making ability it took for him to get the franchise. It's not just about writing a check, and I made the point earlier that if it's all about writing checks. And a lot of guys who own NFL teams who don't have them, like maybe the man of the white house. So to me, that says a lot about who he is, his ability to work those deals and just appeal to people, relate to people.
1: He didn't try to intimidate that wasn't his way. Bob was a good negotiator. League put him on all kinds of committees, put him on the finance committee, which is second most important to the competition committee. And, um, and he was very influential. The other owners and I'll never forget this: when we were in Boston, and the last Super Bowl was awarded to Houston. Interviewing owners in Boston after the vote, and all of them saying, "Yeah, we love Houston. Your stadium's great, but I voted Houston because of Bob McNair." Mm-hmm. And so Bob's, we wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't for McNair, because nobody else stepped up. Right. You know, nobody. John John Moore's, who owns on the Padres and. Houston benefactor. He sniffed around a little bit. i talked to him, but he backed out early, and it was all Bob McNair, so anybody that has any complaints about Bob for any reason, just keep in mind you wouldn't have a team here. We might be the minor league football capital of the world if it wasn't for Bob and Janice McNair.
0: Now, what about the NHL? Because there was some talk about him possibly going for one of those franchises Chuck, early Chuck on. Watson. Chuck
1: Watson. Yeah. Chuck loved hockey, and Bob Bob was a sportsman. You know, he played baseball and basketball growing up in North Carolina. Drafted by the Cubs, but went to University of South Carolina. But he always loved football, and uh, that was his favorite sport. Then, when he moved here in 1960, two years after he and Janice graduated from college, you know, they didn't have any money. Their daughter had was a baby, had to be kept in a drawer till they could afford a crib. And then his last seven hundred, he started a car rental business. So he wasn't born with a silver spoon. I don't even know if he's born with a spoon. And uh, so he came here, and and he and he, I didn't realize this. I wrote it when I found out. He came here as a Democrat, and when he met George H. W. Bush in '64, and they became friends, he became a Republican. And so, <laughs> uh, and they remained friends right up until Bob's death. And George Bush had a, a very moving statement, tribute right. to his longtime friend. And so Bob learned how to negotiate. He was very shrewd and smart. He also learned by his failure. He told me, he said, man, I got into the telecommunications business too early. And because he went broke in the telecommunications business. And and think if he'd waited, yeah. you know, how many billions. But uh, he didn't give up. You know, he would learn lessons just like, A cornerback learns a lesson when he gets beat, and then you come back even stronger when you learn from it. So he got to be a very shrewd, smart businessman who was willing to take chances, and he wasn't afraid of failure. And that's one reason he went after the team. And remember, when you were hired and they had – he that $700 million There's some idiot out there willing to pay $700 million for an NFL franchise. And I told him one time, I said, you know, Forbes, he always said the Forbes thing was inaccurate. I said, well, it's, it's the value is way over a billion dollars. He said, it doesn't matter because it's never leaving our family. Uh-huh. And, uh, I thought that was very interesting. And he told me how much confidence he had in Cal Cal. He says a good listener. And, uh, he's, Cal always paid attention you know he played walked on at UT so he's been around football but it doesn't mean he's all of a sudden going to try to be Jerry Jones and I think that the fans here will like Cal McNair as an owner Janice is the owner but you know she's going to stay out of it and uh, I think people will like Cal just like they like Bob
0: yeah I agree and Cal's been so plugged in. I mean, he's been here at the practices. He goes to the meetings. He understands what's happening on the football and, side very
1: well. And Mark, let's be honest. Bob has been really ill, in and out of hospitals lately, battling cancer for five years. Not around as much. And Cal, uh, they made him the chairman, and Bob, senior chairman. And so, mm-hmm. going back, uh, Bob and it was headed the search committee. He was the one that hired Cal. Was right there. Cal approved it too. Uh, Brian, to bring back Brian Gain as general manager, give him a five-year contract, and then give Bill a four-year extension. When a lot of people are saying you got to fire Bill O'Brien, and so he he had confidence in Bill, and he gave him a four-year extension. And then he gave, he told me he said that that he that he wouldn't want Brian to come in and clean house immediately. He could bring in who he wanted, but he wanted to make sure about all those decisions because Brian had been here, and that was a huge advantage for four free agent periods and four drafts. So he knew who he wanted to keep and who he wanted to let go. And so Bob gave him the money. That's a good thing about Bob, and I know Cal's going to do this too. Bob McNair always gave the people the money they needed to hire the people they wanted or to sign the free agent or to keep the player and then uh, he let them do their jobs, and Cal's going to do that. He's going to let them, give them the resources to operate, whether it's Jamie Roots running the administrative side or Brian Gain running the personnel department. They will not be operating with a small budget. That's not the way the McNairs operate, and I hope the listeners who are fans appreciate an ownership uh that does that because that's the way you should be get hire good people pay them money give them the resources and stay informed but don't tell them how to do their jobs
0: well like you said earlier bob would have been so excited about the victory monday night he'd be so excited about eight and three of course and five games to go in the regular season john how good is this football team what do you think of the houston texans right now going into the next game
1: i i uh Tweeted this on uh, Wednesday, and I believe that uh, it will be on extra points. Mm-hmm. I heard you're on there with Drew Darty, and that ESPN had this stat about strength of victory. People say Texans haven't beaten anybody. Their strength of victory, their opponents are way above Kansas City, Pittsburgh, the Chargers. Chargers next lowest in the AFC to Oakland, which has only won one game. So looking at that, the Titans is the toughest, but looking at that and looking at the teams behind the Texans, you can't say it. If you're going to say it, you have to say, well, the Chiefs haven't beaten anybody, Steelers haven't beaten anybody, Colts haven't beaten anybody, and the Chargers haven't beaten anybody. And so that's something that that I, that has really gotten my attention. And you know, Mark, a month ago, we wouldn't have given a second thought to the Cleveland game. Chalked it up as a W, and now the Browns are good under interim coach Greg Williams and Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett, two former first overall picks, are both playing great.
0: All right, what do you think of Mayfield here? Because clearly he is playing well, but he's also making a lot of noise. He does a lot of talking, John, and it's rubbing a bunch of people, NFL observer observers anyway, the wrong way. But how does that impact how the team deals with him? I mean, they got to deal with him between the lines, but I'm wondering how that motivates them to see – Just hear some of the things he's been talking about.
1: I asked Greg Williams on a conference call, and I've known Greg since 1990 when he came to the Oilers. I said, your personality and Mayfield's personality are a lot alike. He said, what are you saying? I said, brash, bold, outspoken. And they give each other a hard time. He doesn't reel in Mayfield because that's who Greg Williams is. Of course, Cleveland fans and the Browns love it when Mayfield – Walks the walk after he's talked the talk. But he has seven touchdowns, no interceptions. The last two games, they've won double-digit games back to back for the first time since like when Watt was a rookie. And they also, he's the first rookie to have a 140 rating two games in a row, and that's first in NFL history. And he's been really good under Freddie Kitchens, elevated from quarterback to offensive coordinator. And Greg Williams, of course, oversees the defense as well as being interim coach. But this is a team that plays hard. They're going to come in here fired up. They just won their first game since, like, 1850 on the road. They were about to set the NFL record for consecutive road losses, and they beat Browns, I mean, the Bengals handily. That's probably good for the Texans. You didn't want them coming in here trying to avoid an all-time record, but it's going to be physical. It's going to be exciting and it's going to be a whole lot of fun for the fans to see if they the Texans can win a ninth in a row, and I believe they will. I think they'll have a 9-game winning streak and the and the Colts, excuse me, will have a 6-game winning streak coming in for the game of the year. And there's, in a time, if the Browns were worse, there might be the old letdown game, but I don't think so. The Browns have gotten not just the Texans' attention, but the NFL's attention because they're talking playoffs.
0: These Texans running the football a whole lot better than they did very early in the season. Actually, those first three games, they were were running it okay, but the balance seems to be there now in this offensive attack for them.
1: They committed to it because of Watson taking so many beatings, specifically Dallas and Buffalo it's amazing, considering his injuries and they still won it's amazing he could drive on a ride on a luxury bus to Jacksonville and they could win by thirteen the toughness i don't because the team wouldn't even acknowledge he was hurt he doesn't get as much credit as he should for playing with those injuries yep and i believe this last game against tennessee is the first time he's been healthy because he was rambunctious not reckless but rambunctious still he's got to start sliding uh i think if you're a texans fan you're holding your breath every time he runs yes nine runs not Mm -hmm. to mention getting hit in the pocket is something that you'd think wear him down but he he looked like in that game like a a puppy, come charging out of a cage, running around on a carpet, just having so much fun. You could tell he feels good, and he feels confident. But when you're only throwing an average, you're not throwing more than 24 passes a game for five games. Not a lot of wideouts are going to get the ball. You know, you saw him use get maximum use from Demarius Thomas. Most of the targets are, are going to – DeAndre Hopkins, as they should, but there's not a lot of others to go around. In the running game, it's always easier for linemen to charge off the ball than it is to back up. And it's not just the linemen. On that 97-yard touchdown, Julian Davenport pulled from left tackle and made a just devastating block that helped clear him. On the 15-yard touchdown run by Watson, Ryan Griffin had a great block. So it's involving the tight ends and everybody else. And right now, they got it going on on the run blocking. I know fans get just go crazy when they're stopped for no gain on first down or minus one on first down. But when you're averaging 169 yards rushing in your last five games, it's hard to be upset for any reason.
0: I totally agree. Now, what about this? The defensive front, the front seven, the pressure they were getting on Mariota, being able to stop the Tennessee running game on Monday night. We've seen them stop some really good running backs this year. Were you a little surprised at the amount of pressure they got on Tennessee with the six sacks and the other pressures?
1: 11 sacks in two games. First time in team history they've had at least five in back-to-back games. Whitney Merciless now. Whitney, the last couple of games, has started to look more like Whitney, making some big-time plays. Watt and Clowney, of course, the offenses have to account for them. Now, Christian Covington, I'm thinking, what did he eat before the game? Two and a half sacks. And he had the most hits, the most uh, knockdowns. And you think, my goodness, I asked Bill O'Brien, he said he won the one-on-one matchup. So can Covington keep it up? D.J. Reader does a great job on the nose of tying up blockers. It doesn't show up in the stats. O'Brien said, you guys never asked me about Angelo Blackson and he's playing very well. So the defensive line's playing well. Getting back Zach Cunningham, who we think of more as a finesse player, but he and McKinney had that goal line stop on the tight end, Luke Stocker, and and, uh, that changed the game along with the 97-yard touchdown run. Having him back, now getting Dylan Cole back, that Mm -hmm. front seven is strong. But I'll say this, I've never seen, Mark, a guy have one incompletion with 106 left in the game, throw for 300 yards, two touchdowns, and they only score 17 points. So they're going to have to do a better job of coverage because if you're getting that kind of pressure on the quarterback and you still give up that kind, of, those many completions, including a blown c- coverage on a 61-yard touchdown to the tight end, which was a short pass and run, and then they got beat when they collided on the last with a 48-yard touchdown, but the secondary's got to – Tighten up, uh, poor choice of words. Secondary's got to be better against the Browns than it was against the Titans. You have the Colts
0: facing the Jaguars this weekend, and the Jaguars look done.
1: Cody Kessler, they've thrown in the towel. They're trying to get another high draft choice, just what they need. They'll probably use it on a defensive player.
0: Is Marone safe?
1: Uh, Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone are two disciplinary and old-school guys and I'm amazed going back to Jalen Ramsey, calling people trash in in Gentlemen's Quarterly. Can you imagine somebody doing that here? Oh my god! What do gosh. you think Bill O'Brien would do when his he his head sees would explode? It, it would explode, and 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 then the players staying out late and getting in trouble in London, mm-hmm. just a lot of things. And they got a lot of p- personalities. O'Brien's always talking about a good teammate, a good teammate. That's important here, and good teammates don't cause your team to implode and so jacksonville to me is the most disappointing team in the nfl like the texans and the bears are the two biggest uh, surprise the bears are even more surprised because nobody picked the bears to win that division i saw people pick the texans to win the division i picked them 10 and 6 and earned a wild card but i would say right now that the Texans and the Jaguars are the biggest surprises for different reasons, and mm-hmm. I tell you something really bothered me. That? I saw a thing this week with Peter King and Mike Florio, Coach of the Year, and they had eight candidates, and Bill O'Brien wasn't among the eight and I'm thinking, how can he not be among the eight candidates? I guess they don't know you know you lose five corners in the first seven games, you lose an offensive tackle for the season. You're coming off a 4-12 and 12 season. You, you got, lose your owner. You lose your owner. You got guys who took them a while to get 100%, and it's like people are ignoring it. And yeah. I'd love to see them say, well, they haven't beaten anybody because now they may not have beaten anybody, but if they haven't, then those teams we talked about earlier, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, the Chargers, then they have had, their strength of victory is worse than the Texans. So that, that doesn't wash anymore. So – I don't know what it would take for Bill. Maybe he was number nine Hmm. on their list.
0: Two more wins, I think they would change their tune. And they're going to be hard to get against the Browns and then the Colts, and no one's looking past Cleveland. Believe me. All right, we mentioned Colts at Jags, and we talked about the Jags. But what about the Colts, John? You said it earlier. If they come in next week having preserved that streak, and it's likely they do because they're going to Jacksonville, and Jacksonville does look like a, a done team at this stage. What about what they're doing? Pass protection, running the ball well, defense is playing well. they got it going on right now.
1: I was asking my Friday mailbag that I do on Texas Sports Nation three weeks ago when I saw the Texans losing. This was three weeks ago. right? I said, I believe the Texans will have a nine-game winning streak, and the next loss would be at Indianapolis because it is going to be so hard to beat Andrew Luck two times. I think if they do beat Cleveland and Indianapolis, that's when people around the country will start to take the Texans seriously because everybody knows how great Luck's playing. I saw an article on the internet and not from Indianapolis that he needs to be in the MVP talk, and he does. Drew yeah. Brees is going to win it unless they collapse, but Luck should get mentioned just like mm-hmm. O'Brien should be mentioned in comeback of the year and Watt is player of the year and comeback of the year and and uh, um, so uh, they just, for whatever reason, the Texans are not getting a lot of national respect. I saw Sports Illustrated top top their rankings, mm-hmm. and I think I have the Texans at six or seven. They dropped them to tie for tenth, and they moved the Cowboys ahead of them. Well, How they does... beat the Cowboys. They moved the Cowboys ahead based on a victory over the Redskins in Dallas and the Texans won at Washington. And I have them over the Chargers. And they're two
0: games ahead of Dallas, right?
1: Yes, and cuz the Chargers uh the Chargers lost at home to Denver, the Texans mm-hmm. won at Denver. I had them at Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh has worse record, but also because Pittsburgh just lost at Denver and the Texans won at Denver. So, I just don't understand how you could have the Cowboys over the Texans in a ranking. But it's very interesting to see, uh, look around the league in the NFL and see what people think of the Texans. And so far, yeah, they're impressed with the winning streak, but they haven't beaten anybody.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a – well, it is a false narrative indeed. All right, some of the other games. The Thursday night special, Cowboys hosting the Saints. Speaking of that team from Dallas – Does Dallas have a shot here at home?
1: They're putting Gil Brandt in the ring of honor. People are going to be excited about that. Unless the Saints play their worst game, they're not going to lose to the Cowboys. Cowboys lost by 14 at home to Tennessee, and uh, they beat Washington on Thanksgiving, but I think I picked the Saints by 10.
0: You know, the funny thing about the Titans, John, they'll have the Jets this weekend and a likely win for them, and I hate to say likely in this league, but let's say they get it. All right, they go back to six and six and if somehow the Texans lose to the Browns, they're right back in the conversation in the division. It's not over for them yet.
1: The Titans next three games are against opponents that are nine and twenty four. Nine mm-hmm. let's see. They're all they're all three and eight. So yes, nine and twenty four. And the only road game they have left, four of the last five are Nashville, and the only road games against the Giants. So they got a chance to compete for that last wild card. It looks like the Chargers are going to have the first wild card. Good chance they could come here unless the Texans get the third seed ahead of Pittsburgh. And, uh, but the Titans could certainly get the last one.
0: What are you thinking about Chargers and Steelers in Pittsburgh on Sunday night? Nice, attractive national matchup.
1: I'm taking Pittsburgh to Chargers. They have the lowest strength of victory in the AFC to Oakland, which has only won one game. Mm -hmm. And uh, Phillip Rivers is playing great, but they're going to Pittsburgh. Weather could be a factor, but I think the Steelers are going to bounce back. Steelers have had two bad games in a row, both on the road. They beat Jacksonville, uh, but they had to do it right at the end. And then, of course, they lost to Denver. I think Mike Tomlin will have them focused and beating uh, the Chargers pretty handily.
0: I'm guessing you wouldn't pick against the Patriots at home against the Vikings, but they might have a shot to do some damage here.
1: Minnesota's defense is good, but Kirk Cousins, I saw a bunch of stats about their passing game. Mm. They're behind in like five major stats from where they were with Case Keenum last year, so no way. As I've told you before, I haven't picked against the Patriots at home since 2001, and my percentage is pretty good.
0: Ravens are a hot wild card possibility. They'll be at the Falcons. So, Lamar Jackson doing pretty well in short order anyway. But what about what's wrong with Atlanta? And This is an Atlanta team, by the way, that was held to 16 points against Cleveland a couple of weeks ago.
1: They had won three in a row. We all thought they were back. Now they've lost their last two. Uh, and I think that uh, there's, they could beat. Matt Ryan's still playing great. Their defense is terrible. I think with Lamar Jackson – if he, They say if he wins, Flacco's not getting his job back. I think Atlanta will win this game and Flacco will get his job back.
0: Did Vance Joseph, I can't say it's done yet, and I'm sure you wouldn't either, but how is he doing with job security after the Broncos have bounced back with a couple of wins and they'll be at Cincinnati this weekend? Bengals just signing Tom Savage as a backup quarterback.
1: The The Broncos, I thought he was going to be gone after the Texans beat him up there, then they beat the Chargers in Los Angeles and then they just beat Pittsburgh at home and now they're talking playoffs too. So much competition for that last wild card spot. Mm-hmm. Chargers eight and three. Pittsburgh beats them, they're going to be eight and four. And that puts teams one behind them. This race is just going to be great and exciting. And uh I but I I don't think Denver's going to make the playoffs, but I'm basing that more on what I saw when the Texans were there and not what I've seen with them winning these last two over two teams destined for the playoffs.
0: John, you and I don't talk much college football, but after watching that 800 overtime – well, it was seven overtime – game against Texas A&M and LSU, I would change college overtime. Just go to the NFL overtime.
1: Well, I I think that instead of putting it at the 25, they ought to make it harder. And uh, – I watched it or watched Ever play. It was exciting. I was glad the Aggies won, had a good fight afterward. I've watched <laughs> read everything about the fight, all the videos. And um, I like the college overtime. I don't like it's too easy to score, but also the stats count, which is unfair to players who don't play in overtime when you're competing for awards. And uh, A&M, I know, whew, boy, if they had lost that one, but right now they're 8-4, beat LSU for the first time in, since they went to the SEC. But, and, and that was a record number of points, tied the record for overtime. So it was so rare, Mark. It's not like it's happening all the time. Don't you know those guys were tired?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How absolutely. would you
1: like to have been Ozeron? He gets the Gatorade dumped on him with one second. Then he had to go seven overtimes wearing clothes covered in Gatorade.
0: All the sticky, sweet yeah. stuff. You know, that's why they started to throw it I think a little bit more aggressively as those overtimes went on, you know, forget about trying to grind it in. You just want to get the quick score because you're just exhausted. There were so many big pass so plays. Yeah.
1: So very little pass defense and I would uh,
0: change the that format. I just the stats counting or I would say tie game whatever it is 51 to 51 uh Aggies win overtime you know that kind of thing i don't know changed the way it scored it's they could add ridiculous. 12
1: they could add 15
0: yeah it would go on there's no forever.
1: curfew in college station
0: and by the way i know it's an off season discussion but i'm still in favor of going back to the old way in the nfl sudden death overtime play it live it and deal with it i
1: don't like the shorter overtimes actually when we had some ties early in the year yeah i thought that's the way it's going to be all season thank goodness it hasn't been exactly john what do you have going out of the chronicle uh i am writing a column about deshaun watson and instincts and how how he has them and how it helps him make plays especially in the pocket and uh we've got aaron wilson brian t smith uh, they've got columns and stories coming and Thank you very much, as always, Mark.
0: Let's learn more about the Cleveland Browns now. John Harris is here. And, Johnny, I know Baker Mayfield, it's a big deal, no question, his playmaking ability. But Nick Chubb is also a big concern for this Houston defense.
2: No doubt. In fact, I did my – each week I do a Telestrator for us for extra points and for the website, but I also do one for game day on KPRC. And that was my focus was Nick Chubb. And I think that's really what has – the changes they made offensively, where they moved Freddie Kitchens in as offensive coordinator, changed the offensive tailored, a little, tailored it a little bit more around Baker Mayfield, really has bolstered what Nick Chubb can do, and Nick Chubb has bolstered what the offense can do. I mean, it's really come; it's become a balanced offense now, truly, with Chubb in the backfield. Now there are some things they can do with Duke Johnson. They'll use both backs at the same time. They'll in fact use Duke Johnson as a slot receiver. So. Offensively, they're very balanced, and Baker's moving around in the pocket, getting the ball out quickly, doing the things that we knew were going to be difficult to stop, and they're going to be difficult to stop. Which sounds kind of like Cleveland Brown. Yeah, and Joku's a dude at tight end. He's going to be a really tough matchup. In fact, I think you have to treat him almost like you do Travis Kelsey. How do you treat Kelsey? Do you cover him with a corner? Do you cover him a nickel? Do you cover him with safety? You got to you got to figure all that out depending on whether he's attached, detached, where he is. What do you so- think they do? Because I think you got to cover him like a wide receiver, really, absolutely. Put, put a safety on him absolutely. at the very least. At the very, you're exactly right. At the very least, you put a safety on him. No doubt, you've got to put a safety on him. I mean, that's that to me is a a massive part in this game is stopping the Joker big time because where he can get what he does after the
0: catch, he's mm-hmm. a whale of an athlete. He's only 21. <laughs> that's right. a scary thing. He's only 21. What about Landry? He had a huge game against this team when the Dolphins played the Texans in twenty fifteen like Lamar Miller did. Yeah. Ultimately he got a job here. But what about Landry?
2: Well in Miami they would they they checked it down to him. I said check it down, but they he ran a lot of shallows and you know short crosses, slants, you know, underneath routes where, where Tannehill and Dolphin quarterbacks just give him the ball and let him work. They still do that a little bit, but there, there are a lot more guys on that roster that are probably more lethal if that makes sense, I mean they can hit you with with one blow. Landry is more like hitting the rock a thousand times, and the thousand one is gonna thousand and one thousand and first is gonna break it. That's kind of where Landry is. I mean he's gonna catch a little bit underneath. That's a five yard gain. That's a seven yard gain. He's kind of death by a million paper cuts, if you will. But the rest of the guys can be down a field making plays. Antonio Callaway, the rookie out of Florida, and Joku, Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson, even those guys can be home run hitters with Baker. But Baker's going to, when he, when he needs it, he'll go find Landry. Landry will be the one he relies on. But Landry's
0: not going to produce the big plays like those other guys can. What about on defense, Garrett? Everybody knows about him, but what else are we looking at there?
2: Well, I think the biggest thing you're looking at on that side of the ball is turnover production. They turn teams over better than anybody. They're number one in the league, tied, tied for first in the league in turnover margin. 27 turnovers they've created. They're plus 14, so they turn it over 13 times but they've gone and got 27, so that's the key. They're no better than 28th or 29th in any one category, rushing, uh, pass, defense, whatever. The numbers really look at it and go, really? This team has played this well the last couple of weeks, but you look at the turnover production and what they've, what they've done turning teams over, and that's the key. They're very athletic, there's no doubt, but you can still see where the Texans can have some success. They can run the football against these guys, I think. And if Deshaun... Doesn't throw interceptions and the offense doesn't turn it over. I think they're going to be able to put the ball in the end zone, and I think that's going to make for it's going to make for a challenge uphill for Baker to have to score that many points. Have to score that many points. I mean, they scored thirty-five last week against Cincinnati, and really, they I don't want to say they were handed it, but they had a really good first drive. Then Cincinnati missed a field goal out near midfield, so they drove like 45, 50 yards, another touchdown, uh, and then they got one off a of turnover, a bad snap from Billy Price. Thirty yards back downfield since or uh Cleveland is up scoring again. Twenty one nothing. So it ended up being twenty-eight nothing at the half, and at that point you're just coasting through the second half for the most part. Because Cincinnati, there's no AJ Green. There's nobody else at wide receiver you get scared of. There's no Tyler Eifert. I mean, Andy Dalton then got hurt. What about Atlanta before them? They've got some issues. Atlanta's got some issues defensively. So the last three weeks.
0: But they held them to 16.
2: But they held, and, and that's key that they held them to 16. And I, and that does worry me a little bit. But it was the big play. Nick Chubb had that 92 yard run against them, and the Atlanta game is the one where I go. This is some about this game is a little, little off. The fact that they, they, they pounded Atlanta the way that they did because Atlanta was coming off that win against Washington. Yeah. Atlanta that big win against Washington. I thought, there's no way Cleveland. I did Cleveland watch just what house,
0: Was that the buy? Because I that was watched, the bye. I watched a bunch of that game, and my feeling on the Atlanta game was that Atlanta just didn't have it going on that day. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to take anything away from Cleveland, no, but exactly. that wasn't the full-boat Atlanta performance. Whatever this year's top-level game is, they were not even close to it. They were missing stuff that they don't normally right. miss, short throws, things like that. Exactly. I'm not saying Cleveland didn't play well, but... Texans have to avoid the big mistakes here. Exactly. they to play clean. They should be at least in the game in the fourth quarter.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing. If you're not turning the ball over to them and you're making Baker go full field and now he's looking at Texans' defense. Look, the Falcons' defense, think of the three teams that they have faced since Freddie Kitchens took. Oh, Chiefs. Chiefs' defense, Falcons' defense, Bengals' defense. They're not one of them that holds a candle. You, I mean, you can look at those rosters and go, I don't know if there's anybody that want to take off those rosters on defense and put it on our roster. Wow. so Anybody. That, I mean, there might be a guy yeah, or two, yeah. but off of three teams, you're going, Nike. would I want Geno Atkins? Well, heck yeah. But you, here's a case in point. 7 nothing. the Browns have the ball inside of the 10-yard line. And the Bengals drop Geno Atkins into coverage. Yeah. Baker moves around, back in the end zone, touchdown. Right. 14-0. If you
0: can't get pressure on him, it's over. Yeah, and, and you're dropping your best pass rusher yeah. into coverage? Yeah. That I sometimes know. backfires. Johnny, thanks a lot. Yeah, Mark, thank you. John Harris, let him know. Check out his stuff on houstontexans.com, and he'll host tomorrow at 6, this very program. Parents, grab your kids and their friends and join us for a free day of fun at Levy Park, Monday, December 3rd. That's this coming Monday from 4 to 6. Place 60 at the park, presented by Texas Children's Hospital, featuring special appearances by a Texans player, cheerleaders, Toro, and a whole lot more. Additional information is available on houstontexans.com. The events calendar. Navigate to the website on that. Let's navigate over to Houston Methodist Minutes. We all know that skin cancer was a big challenge for Mr. McNair. So let's bring aboard Dr. Anthony Echo from Houston Methodist. Dr. Echo, how are you?
3: I'm doing very well. Thank
0: you. Well, great to have you on. And the subject is skin cancer. We all know Mr. McNair had bouts with skin cancer throughout the later part of his life. And he always said "You know, he's a lifeguard earlier in his life. Tell me something. Is that a thing where if you were out in the sun a lot as a teenager, as a youth, it might not catch up with you till later? How does all that work, Doctor?
3: Uh, lifelong sun exposure is the biggest cause of skin cancer that we know of. And a lot of people in their youth have had various jobs or were at the lake or beach all the time and had sun exposure when they're young. And that extensive exposure when they're young contributes to skin cancer later in life.
0: The stat here, one in five Americans will develop skin cancer by the age of 70. So obviously not all of this is fatal, but catching it quickly is crucial. So take us through what people should do to prevent skin cancer from getting worse than it possibly could be.
3: As the people get older, they uh, start to develop skin lesions. And it's important to, one, don't let something Slide and put it off. Have your doctor look at it, whether it's your family doctor or dermatologist. Take a look at the lesions. Sometimes these little lesions need a biopsy, and if you catch it early enough, a lot of times they can just be frozen off, uh, or just simply excised in clinic and not anything major. So it's very critical to talk to your doctor if you have a family member or if it's the person themselves. If something's a non-healing wound, doesn't look right, a changing mole or lesion, just get it checked out in biopsy.
0: How often should people get checked out?
3: Everyone's a little bit different. I think if there's a family history of skin cancer or uh, a personal history of skin cancer, most people should get checked out at least once a year. Uh, it all varies, and people with lighter skin tones, usually of Norwegian-type descent or Eastern, or I'm sorry, a Western European, usually have a little more sensitive skin uh, compared to people with more um, pigmentation. Uh, but everyone anyone can develop skin cancer. so we usually recommend at least once a year to get a head-to-toe skin examination.
0: Thank you very much for the time, doctor. Great information. All right. Have a good day. Dr. Anthony Echo, Houston Methodist Cancer Center, providing the most advanced cancer treatments and comprehensive care available at seven locations across greater Houston. Visit HoustonMethodist.org slash cancer to learn more. The official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. All right. On the way out here, a couple of things. First of all, I can't say enough about our video crew. If you haven't seen, it's about three minutes, the video recap of what went on Monday night with the victory and the tribute to Mr. McNair and It's so well captured by Tyler Sudarth, one of our videographers here at the Houston Texans, and a bunch of people contributed to it. And I got to say that I've gotten a lot of love, and I really appreciate it, for the touchdown call on the 97-yard run by Lamar Miller, and it was just such an honor to be able to be in the booth for that moment. This is just one of those times that, as an announcer, you just feel so great because the moment was there, and it was all for Mr. McNair, that this colossal play happened, this historic play in the history of the franchise, and so many things going through my mind while Lamar is running. And I'm thinking of Earl Campbell on Monday Night Football. I'm thinking of Mr. McNair. I'm thinking of this just doesn't happen. You know, it, it could have easily been, all right, second and nine after a one-yard run by Lamar Miller. Instead, it was this historic moment, and what a tribute to him. And, uh, you know, it's not about me, of course, but I, I loved being in the booth for that, and I love that the, the fans – Got a chance to be in the stands for that, and everybody got to see it on Monday Night Football, and you get to relive it on all this video stuff on HoustonTexans.com. The music they use for these video tributes, just go to the website, scroll through, check out some of our videos on this. They also did kind of a humorous take on, on the run with Lamar running so fast with the roadrunner. I mean, he was just flying. He was just flying. And and you heard Bill O'Brien talk about it, that you know he's getting razzed, and Lamar himself said it about previous runs where he got run down from behind or caught from behind. Well, he didn't get caught from behind in this one, and he's having a tremendous season. So let's keep it rolling here with the Houston Texans as they look for nine in a row. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. Nine in a row on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. That is the Quest noon kickoff for that. want to thank everyone for listening and contributing to the program tonight. Have a great evening, everyone, and go Texans.